so my name is Luke Hannay. I've been coming to UBC for the past three, going on four years now. I recently graduated from Cedarville University, uh, which is when I started coming to UBC my sophomore year. After my first Sunday coming here, it, it was clear that this was somewhere I wanted to be. It was a perfect slice of home, very similar to the church I grew up in, even down to the people and how friendly they were. And so I really felt like home here, even though I grew up all the way across the country on the West Coast. And not knowing where I was gonna be after college, I wasn't sure if I should become a member yet. But now that I have graduated, I am living in the area, it's such a pleasure to be a member here at UBC to contribute and to now be working here as a resident pastor. So I get to be a part of the ministries, the youth group. I get to go be part of ministries outside of the church with other organizations like the SBC, uh, with Centur. And the other half of my job, being a kind of a unique job, is I get to do construction. I do have a minor background in construction. All the summers I grew up, I spent time uh, building and being part of general contractors and excavation crews. So I do get to help out with the construction. So the Make Him Known project. Church expansions can be a point of great tension in a church, and it can be difficult sometimes to do it well so there's not division. And I was very surprised as to how well UBC handled it. As someone who wasn't a member then and was just an attendee, it was made clear to me through the staff, through the sermons and everything, their goal, that it wasn't just about building a building and gaining more members. It was about how can we better reach and be better equipped to reach the community, our own people, and the people around us. And so having a facility that can handle growth and be able to facilitate more uh, people is a way that we can be better equipped to, to reach out to the community. And not to mention the building itself. It's a beacon, it's a flag in this community. People have come by and been like, what are you building? And wanting to ask and just curious or stopping by, we've been able to witness to people who have just stopped in, who don't even go to church here, who don't even go to church, just wanting to know what has been going on. And so God has not only been working through the construction, but through other people just witnessing the construction. And it's such a blessing to be a part of that. And I can't wait to see where it's gonna end up. Well, welcome to week two of our uh, Make Him Known Refresh sermon series. If you've been around UBC for a while now, you're probably pretty, fam pretty familiar with um, our whole Make Him Known initiative. But if you're new to UBC, you might kind of be wondering of what's going on here and what Make Him Known is all about. And really, our vision for Make Him Known is something that we rolled out to the church about a year ago. And uh, really, we said that when we are talking about making Christ known, we want to make him known in three areas. We want to make him known here among the people in our church, near to people who are near to our church but not yet connected, and then everywhere taking the gospel to people all around the world who need Christ. And that's our vision for make him known. And like you saw in Luke's video, uh, we want to make him known near by expanding our facilities, opening up more space for people to come and uh, connect to our church. The problem is, is that we, we've been running out of room in our facilities. Um, we have had several weeks um, where people have come and we either didn't have parking space or, you know, we didn't have room in our services. And so, you know, praise the Lord, the parking is now opened up more and that 
that problem was kind of being solved, and we thank the Lord for that. But even just like last Sunday night, I met a couple who came to our church a few weeks ago, and we just didn't have a seat for them, and so they left. And praise the Lord, they decided to come back again, and they, you know, gave it a second try. But things like that keep happening. Um, therefore, we are adding more space to our building to be able to help people who are not yet connected to our church have a place to connect. And I just want to kind of call out the obvious, uh, at least tension that I felt in my heart. You know, on one hand, we're watching this video about the persecuted church and people all around the world who um, have, you know, very minimal resources and certainly in many cases don't have the freedom to meet. They have to meet in homes or in secret um, other places where they do have the freedom to meet, they still face opposition from the outside and uh, can be very dangerous for them. And yet here we are with abundant resources and the freedom in this country to worship the Lord freely. And we need to really remember as we're moving forward with this project to be thankful for that freedom and privilege that the Lord has granted us. But expanding our facilities is part of the vision that we launched a year ago for Making Christ Known. And as we come to our one-year mark of our two-year journey, we want to keep this Make Him Known vision fresh in our minds and in our hearts as we move forward. And I hope that the booklets that you've received last week and this week, I hope that these booklets help you keep that vision fresh in your mind and in your heart. Um, If you haven't done so yet, I encourage you just to take some time to read through this and There's a lot of really good detail and information in here, especially if you're curious about some of the details of the building um, project that's uh, on page nine. You can look in your booklet and you can see some of the the facts about the new facility that we're building. Um, But one of the things that I want to touch on today is the commitment card. Last week, I told you guys that uh, we were all going to turn in a commitment card on November 13th. Um, And, you know, some of you uh, have asked me afterwards and have been discussing like, hey, you know, so we were here last year. We turned in a commitment card last year. Why are you asking us to turn in a second one? And I think that's a reasonable question. It's a legitimate question, and I just wanted to take a minute to answer it. Um, and I think the best way that I can answer it this morning is kind of putting it in a word picture or maybe an analogy for you. Um, so the thing I want to ask you to think about is think about uh, people running a, one of those big distance races. And um, what you end up having, having when you have people run a distance race is that when you're running— People often need to check their pace, and they need to look, and they say, hey, am I, am I behind my pace? Am I ahead of my pace? Um, if you're feeling good about things, you can step up your pace. And uh, the other thing that goes on in a big distance race is that a lot of people run together, and so you have new runners and experienced runners, fast runners, slow runners, and all these people are kind of basically all in it together, and they're cheering each other on, and they're saying, hey, you know, no matter where you're at, you can, you can start and you can finish. And so it's similar in our Make Him Known initiative, right? We're asking those of you who already turned in a card last year, we're asking you to turn in a second one for two reasons. The first one is we're asking you to do this so that you can check your pace, so that you pause, that you remember the commitment that the Lord put on your heart last year, and then you say, okay, uh, do I need to catch up? Um, Am I ahead? Maybe your financial situation has changed this year, and the Lord is going to put it on your heart to increase your giving this year really just check your pace. That's the first reason. The second reason is because we're in this together. And um, we as a church, you know, many of us already turned these cards in last year, but we've had a lot of new people start coming to our church since a year ago. And they're going to come and they're going to be turning in a commitment card for the first time next Sunday. And when we walk beside them and we turn in cards together, even if it's our second one, we're sending the message. You know what? This is a church-wide thing. We're all in this together. 
right? We're all in this together. What have we been saying through Make Him Known from the beginning? We've said that one of our goals is to see 100% church engagement. We want to see all of the church engaged. We want 100% of us doing 100% of whatever the Lord calls us to do. And so because that's part of our goal, I hope that helps you understand why you're being asked to engage in a second commitment card uh, next Sunday. Now, next Sunday, um, I know this is a little bit businessy, but some of you have asked questions about the commitment card itself. So I want to just kind of walk through this. At the top of the commitment card, you'll see that there's information about our goals and about the allocation of money for ministry and where that goes. Um, and these things are further explained in the booklet that you can, you can read. Um, but on the bottom half of the commitment card, you can see that the left side of the card is for people who turned in a card last year. The right side is for people who are making a commitment for the first time this year. And I just want to talk about each side for a second. On the left side, those of you who did make a commitment last year, you'll start by checking off the little box at the top that says, yeah, I made a commitment last year. And then you'll fill in the amount that you committed last year. So you can just plug in a number that's a typical gift amount from all UBC people. One million dollars. Thank you for your kindness and generosity. Um, buildings already paid off. No. Uh, so you'll go down from there and, you know, you can see that there's two more boxes down below. And you can check the second one either that you'll finish strong or uh, the one right below it that says that you'd like to increase your commitment. Obviously, if you commit your, your commitment up to five million dollars, uh, we will... Maybe complete the whole campaign, but still keep going forward, as we said before, because all of us taking steps um, in generosity, it's part of our discipleship growth. Like even, what did we say last year? Even if somebody came and wrote us a check for the whole project, one check covered the whole project, we would still do it. Why? Because we want all of us growing in our discipleship, learning to participate in the joy of generosity. And so uh, that's kind of the left side of the card, and you can, you can see that. The right side of the card is for people making a commitment for the first time. So you could check that box at the top that says, this is my first commitment. And then you'll start in the, the first uh, blank space below that. You can fill in the amount that you normally give to UBC in a year. For some of you, that'll be zero because you've never made a commitment to uh, give to UBC in the past. You haven't given um, before, and now you're going to be taking your first step towards generosity. Others of you, that top line will be um, a larger number because you do give. But for our purposes today, let's just say it's 500 bucks. The second line down, you can say, okay, this is the amount that I sense the Lord um, calling me to expand my giving. So we put 200 there. And then the third line down you can see is... Uh, a spot to, for stored gifts. And so we put $100 in there. Perhaps you're going to, um, you know, last year we had people who did like yard sales or people who sold coin collections. We had some people who did other things like real estate and things like that, stored resources. We put $100 in there because, you know, maybe the Lord wants you to call your, or sell your OSU paraphernalia that you have around your house and get rid of those idols that are filling your homes. <clears throat> It's only worth a hundred bucks anyway, so you know you might as well sell it. Um, yes, I am happy about Michigan's win yesterday. So, all those things you just add up together, and uh, you know you can total that up and fill it in in the big white box on the bottom. Um, eight hundred bucks in this case, and that's the right side of the card for people who are making a new commitment. So I hope that helps you understand the card. Um, what I'm asking of each of us is just really that we would remember these key dates that are coming up and participate in them. So for this week, uh, if you would talk to your spouse, your husband, your wife, maybe if you have children, engage your children and just talk about your make him known commitments, pray together 
and seek what the Lord uh, would have you to give and be part of this commitment. And then on November 12th, which is this coming Saturday, at 10 a.m., we're going to uh, just say, hey, whoever wants to come at 10 a.m., we're going to meet out in the new facility, and we're going to prayer walk that facility, and we're going to pray for the ministry that's going to be occurring in that building and for the people whose lives are going to be touched through that ministry. And then on November 13th, that's next Sunday, um, we're going to do our, re- our commitment Sunday where we, when you come in, there will be commitment cards on every chair. Uh, we'll have a time in the service where you can fill those cards out right during the church service, and you'll bring them forward and drop them in our commitment boxes. Um, and then later that night, we'll have a members meeting. And at this members meeting next Sunday night, um, one thing that's going to go on there that might be interesting to some of you is we're going to do kind of a town hall style Q&A, open um, discussion about the building and about, you know, maybe what, you know, what's our path to completion moving forward, um, give you some important updates on the building. Uh, plus Rick Utenis, who's been our construction manager all summer. This is going to be his, that'll be his last Sunday with, with us, and we can uh, have him share a few words of encouragement with us and us to encourage him as well. So we hope you'll come to that members meeting next Sunday night. And then the last date that I want to mention is December 4th, and that's what we're calling our second Big Give Sunday. Um, and on that Sunday, we're asking the church to say, okay, you've sensed a commitment amount from the Lord. How much of that commitment might you be able to give that particular Sunday, December 4th. Some of you might be able to give your whole commitment amount. Some of you might be able to give a portion of it. Last year, if you remember, we did our first Big Give Sunday, and that I think we brought in over $500,000 on just one Sunday because of uh, your all's generosity. So um, praise the Lord for that. And uh, this second Big Give this, this December will be a, a huge help as well. So I hope those key dates are helpful to you. I hope explaining the process is helpful and also covering the commitment cards. I know that was kind of businessy to get started today, but uh, it's important, I think, for us to all be clear about the steps we need to take. So all that being said, uh, let's open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4 is where we're going to be today in God's Word. Specifically, we're going to be looking at verses 2 through 6. And as I mentioned before, we are in the middle, the second week, of a three-week sermon series where we are refreshing our vision to make Christ known here, near, and everywhere. And last week, we talked about making Christ known here among the people in our church, the importance of spiritual growth. This week, I want to focus on making Christ known near among the people who are close to us. In other words, today we're going to be talking about our responsibility and our calling and our privilege of sharing the gospel with people in our lives who need Jesus. And that's what's addressed in our text in Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Now, before we get too far into that passage, I'd like for us to remember the context of what's going on here. This book of the Bible is called Colossians because it was written by the Apostle Paul around 60 AD. He was in prison. And he's writing this letter to the church that existed in a city called Colossae. Um, he, had, he had never met this church before. He had only heard of them and heard good reports from them. And now in order to encourage them and to fan the, the flame of their faith, he writes them this letter. And in chapter 1, he writes out a prayer for them. And then he makes this great proclamation about the doctrines of Christ. Chapter 2, he encourages them to stand guard, keep guard against um, false teachings about Jesus that may creep into the church. The end of chapter 2, getting into chapter 3, he gives them some practical instruction on Christian living and ethics. And then in chapter 4 is when he starts talking about sharing Christ with others. He mentions his own personal desire to share the gospel. And then he 
encourages the church to be ready to share Christ as well. And so in this text, we're really going to be focused on um, the importance of sharing Christ with others. So let's read these words. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, the Word of God says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Right away in our text today, we can see that the Apostle Paul has a heart to see the gospel go forward to other people who need to know Jesus. He wants the gospel to be proclaimed. He calls it the mystery of Christ. And when he refers to the mystery of Christ, he's talking about this surprising, unexpected, mysterious truth that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And that's a mysterious, unexpected, surprising truth because um, it's not the way we would think that God would work it out. What we would naturally think, if we didn't have the scriptures, or if we didn't have 2,000 years of church history, we would probably think that if there's a God and he wanted to uh, save people and not uh, condemn them to hell, then surely the people he's going to save are going to be the good people, the righteous people, not the sinners. And yet the message of the scriptures comes to us and says, you know, um, while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. See, in the natural mind, it's just this life of like live, live and be the best person that you can be and kind of just hope that it all works out for your favor in the end. But the message of scripture is like, look, we can never be a good enough person to earn salvation. We can't be good enough. Uh, so God sent Jesus. He sent him to the cross. And at the cross of Calvary, the son of God, Jesus Christ, hung and died. Why did he die? Why did he die like a criminal? Not to pay for his own crimes, not to suffer punishment for his own sins, but to die as a substitute in the place of those like us who have sinned. And, and God, through Christ's sacrifice, allowed Jesus to pay the price for the sin that you and I deserve to pay. And after three days of being buried in a tomb, God raised him up from the dead to show that Jesus Christ does indeed have power and victory over sin and death. And the scripture makes it very clear that by believing on Christ, who died in our place for our sins and that God raised him from the dead, that you can be saved, that you can be forgiven of your sin. In other words, let me just say it very plainly. Salvation is not about your works for God. It's about God's works for you. It's not a reward that you earn. It's a gift that you receive. And that is the wonderful mystery of Christ. It's the mystery of Christ. So I have to ask you this morning, have you received salvation? Really, have you received salvation? Have you received it by trusting in this mysterious, gracious gift of God that he's given you through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? If your sins have never been forgiven, if you're wondering what it would be like if you stood before God in judgment, and he, did he accept you or reject you? Did he receive you or condemn you? The way that you can know the answer to that question for sure is by trusting Christ. That's the mystery of the gospel. God's gracious gift to you of salvation through faith in Jesus. This passage is about the mystery of Christ. And it's also about the importance of sharing that mysterious message with others. So as we dig into our text today, we're going to see three things about 
sharing Christ. We're going to see the inner work of sharing Christ, the outer work of sharing Christ, and the divine work of sharing Christ. So um, this is all leading us to this important challenge that we need to remember this morning, and that is that to make Christ known hereby, or nearby here in our community, we must be committed to sharing Christ with others. Right? That's, what we, that's what we're remembering this morning. To make Christ known near in our community, we must be committed to sharing Christ with others. So let's first consider the inner work of sharing Christ. The inner work. Verse 2 and 3 says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. So again, we see the Apostle Paul and his passion to share the gospel with the lost. He wants the gospel to go forward. Um, And he asks the church to do one thing. He asks them to pray. He wants them to pray with watchfulness, paying attention. As God answers those prayers for gospel doors to be open and hearts to be touched and people to be saved, pray with watchfulness. And when you see God's work, then also give thanks to God for his work. And he wants them to pray steadfastly and continuously, not giving up on praying for the people around them who are lost. Not giving up for praying for the the people around the world who hadn't yet heard the gospel. It reminds us of Jesus' words to his disciples when he said in Luke 18, 1, you must pray and never lose heart, right? Jesus himself taught us, you know, when we're praying for the lost, when we're praying for the people around us, don't quit. Don't give up. Stay attentive to what God is doing. He can save people. He can change people. He can make lives new. So pay attention to what God is doing. Paul didn't just want the Colossians to pray for the lost in general, but he also wanted the Colossians to pray for him in particular. Isn't that what he says? He says, pray also for us. He's talking about himself and Timothy and Luke and people who would travel with him on missionary endeavors and go and preach the gospel. He wants them to pray that a door for the gospel would be opened Uh, for them to share it, right? So what is the inner work of sharing the gospel? The inner work is the work of watchful prayer, right? Praying with expectancy in our heart that God will indeed open doors, the gospel will go forward, and some will be saved, right? We want to pray with watchfulness, with thankfulness, with anticipation and steadfastness in our hearts for the gospel to advance. Why do we pray for the gospel to advance, church family? This is about as simple as it gets. But it's because people need Jesus. People need Jesus. What did we say you know, last year in our Make Him Known initiative? We, we looked at the 2010 census data. And we said, you know, 45,000 people live here in Beaver Creek. We said that around Greene County, there are about 170,000 people. According to the census data, about 15% of them consider themselves to be Christian. And, and that's just kind of the generic Christian term, right? We're not talking about exclusively evangelical Christians. We're talking about anybody who would identify as a Christian of different denominations or sects or whatever. So let's just assume that all those people are indeed saved and born again and they've truly come to faith in Christ. If that's the case, then there are still 38,000 people in Beaver Creek who would be considered lost and without Christ. There are still 144,000 people in Greene County who need to know Jesus. The people near us need Christ. So church family, let's commit to praying for the lost to be saved. And I guess the the specific challenge I would ask for you and for me, and my heart's become more burdened about this as I've been preparing this message, is 
Lord, would you identify in my mind a handful of people to pray for specifically by name, consistently, steadfastly, that these people who I'm praying for by name, that they would come to faith in Jesus. Maybe the Lord will put some people on your mind to pray for readily and consistently. That's what Paul was asking the church to do, pray. But like the Apostle Paul made a personal request of the church, could I also make a personal request to you guys as my church family? I want to ask you to pray for me. Pray for me. Because I share the Apostle Paul's heart that, that the Lord would open doors for me to share the gospel and that when he does that I would share it clearly as I should. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for the other elders? Would you pray for those who have a teaching responsibility and a teaching ministry in our church that we would share the gospel clearly with the filling of the Holy Spirit that God would use our words to bring illumination to the hearts of people who are hearing his word and that God would save people and bring them home to himself. People need Jesus. And so in our church, let's be a church that shares Christ with them. Sharing Christ begins with the inner work, the work of watchful prayer. That's the first thing we see in our text. But then we see a second thing. Not just the inner work, we also see the outer work. Verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 5 and 6 talk to us about the outer work of sharing Christ. Verse 5 says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So, as we've seen in verse 3 and 4, Paul himself really wants to be about sharing the gospel. But here he tells the church in in Colossae, hey, it's not just my responsibility, it's yours too. Let's all work together to get the gospel out. And sharing the gospel, he says, requires speech. It requires words, answers. Right? He, he calls these answers and speech and words, he, he calls them to use words that are seasoned with salt. That means words that are winsome, words that are ready, words that are, are quick and, and ready to go, and, and that these words need to be gracious words. I think we all know this, guys, but like words are so powerful. Words are powerful. Just think about what can be accomplished with words. With words, a judge can determine whether or not someone receives a life sentence or if a prisoner is set free. With words, a doctor can give a diagnosis that totally relieves you or totally devastates you. With words, a couple can devote the rest of their lives to one another or separate the rest of their lives from one another. Words are powerful. In James chapter 3, the scripture speaks about the power of the tongue. And it refers to the tongue in many ways. James 3 says the tongue is like a bridle. It can direct things in your life one way or another. It says the word is like, that your tongue is like a rudder. It can set the course of your life one direction or another. It's, the tongue is like a fire. It can warm a house or it can burn down a forest. The tongue is like a fountain. From it can flow either sweet water or bitter water. It says in James that the tongue is also like a a tree, that it will produce on the outside whatever is on the inside. Words are so powerful. And therefore, in this text, the Apostle Paul is calling the church to have words ready. Salty words, salty in the good way. Seasoned words, right? Um, Ready speech. Answers that are prepared. Um... Quick words to tell people about Christ. 
One of the things that I love is the fact that we offer a classes ministry in our church. And some of our classes specifically help equip people to have words ready to share Christ with people. One of, one of the classes that we're offering right now is a class called Maintaining Christ-Centeredness Amid uh, Cultural Madness, which is an intriguing class title. Um, but in that class, people in our church are being equipped to answer some really tough questions that people in our culture are asking, that people who may be visiting our church are asking. Um, they're covering questions like, hey, uh, can, can a Christian be pro-choice? Um, can a Christian advocate for LGBTQ plus issues? Um, how should a Christian engage in politics? Right? These, these things are being addressed, right? Because they're practical. They're things that are on our mind. We have a big election day coming up on Tuesday. I hope that everybody will go vote. But one of the things we need to do is be able to think through and be ready to answer people's questions about how we engage in these practical topics that are on people's minds that have to do with our Christian faith. So being able to answer these questions prepares us to share our faith with words. But as we can see in our text, um, having the right things to say is only half of the issue. In verse 5, the Apostle Paul also instructs them not just to have words ready, but to also walk with wisdom toward outsiders. So he's telling them that they are to behave wisely in their dealings with non-Christians, people who are outside of the church. And Paul's point is crystal clear. What we do has an impact on what we say. Right? How we live makes an impact on how we're heard. In other words, people outside the church, man, you know this, but they're going to be watching our lives. And they should see a consistency between our words and our actions. As my mom and dad used to tr tell me all the time when I was growing up, son, practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. It's as simple as that. We should be, if we want people to hear what we say about Jesus, then they must see that we live like Jesus. Our words and our deeds, there must be some audio-visual synergy going on. Things have got to match, right? And that ties into the way that Paul speaks about living and speaking about, uh, among outsiders. In verse 5, he talks about, um, you know, living wisely among outsiders, making the best use of your time. And that phrase, making the best use of, is, uh, it's, it's really important to understanding what Paul is saying in the original language. In the original language, what that phrase make best use of really means is to snatch up quickly, to act quickly, to take advantage of an opportunity. So what if we thought about it like this? What if every time we were questioned about our faith, we saw it not as an expression of opposition, but we saw it as a door of opportunity? What if every time we were asked, we didn't see it as like an automatic opposition. We saw it as an opportunity that's right there. It's there for a moment. Like when a parking spot opens up right near the door you're trying to get into. Or like when you get a notification on your Chick-fil-A app that today only you can get a free eight count, right? Not on Sunday though, because you know. Uh, or like some of you guys, like when that girl that you're kind of interested in sits next to you at church, okay? These are temporary doors of opportunity that you must take advantage of. Brethren, step up your game, right? I've shared with the other services like, Surely you can't tell that some of the ladies in our church have basically come to me and said, what's wrong with these dudes? I say, I don't know. Dudes, if you like a girl, ask her out. She can turn you down. But hey, don't be a coward. Ask, right? So brethren, take advantage of the opportunities, okay? I got amens from some of the single ladies in the previous services on that one. So 
when we are questioned about our faith, right, let's not see it as an expression of opposition, but a temporary door of opportunity, right? When we are equipped to give winsome, clever, salty, in a good way, uh, ready answers to people's questions about our faith, guys, that is one of the ways we make the best use of our time, right? We have one lifetime to live on this earth, one window of opportunity, and what are we here for? We're here to know Christ and to make him known, Right? So when we have these momentary opportunities, let's take advantage of them. So what is the outer work of sharing the gospel? The outer work of sharing the gospel is credible words. People need ready words from credible Christians. And so church family, let's do our best to give the world no legitimate reason to consider us frauds, to consider us hypocrites. I want to make it clear, to be sure, like you can live as consistent of a lifestyle as you can. And yes, there will always be some people who just hate Jesus and therefore they hate you. Look, sometimes we believe this thing. If we were just, as, if we were just uh, more like Jesus, then surely the world would love us. And all I can say to you is nobody can be more like Jesus than, you know, Jesus. And the world still hated him. Right? So let's kind of get over this, uh, this idea that we always kind of, are going to be accepted by everyone if we were just Christ-like enough, okay? Here's what we do need to understand. We should be Christ-like in order to maintain consistency. Let's not tell people that we love Jesus, that we follow Jesus, when our lifestyles look exactly the opposite. We are those, in those moments, we're creating unnecessary barriers to the proclamation of the gospel. So let's do our best to work hard and live consistent Christian lives. That's the outer work of sharing Christ with others, right? It's credible words. So we've seen the inner work of sharing Christ. That's watchful prayer. We've seen the outer work, and that is giving credible words. Now let's see our last point for today. Let's talk about the divine work of sharing Christ. The divine work of sharing Christ. What's God's role in all of this? Verse 3 says this. Paul says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. So Paul wants God to give him an opportunity to share Christ. He, he, he wants the Colossians to pray that God would do that. He talks about God opening doors for the gospel in his New Testament letters, 1 Corinthians 16, 9. He says that God has uh, a wide door, uh, a wide and effective door has been opened for me. A wide door was opened for me in the Lord, he says in 2 Corinthians 2.12. This is his expression of saying, you know what? God's doing something here. He's creating an opportunity. That's the divine work of sharing Christ. It's when God opens those doors for us to act on and take advantage of those opportunities. So there's a lot I could say about open doors, but one thing that's just kind of timely and uh, encouraging to me, and I hope it is to you too, is I love what God is doing in our student ministry right now with our middle school students, with our high school students. I don't know if you heard about this, but yesterday, our middle schoolers and high schoolers went out and they did a battery blitz in the neighborhood, uh, in the neighborhoods around our church. They dropped off 350 batteries to our neighbors. They hit up 350 houses in our neighborhood and just said, hey, uh, here's a battery and don't forget to change the battery in your, um, what's it called? Smoke alarm in your house. And people would be like, oh, okay, that's nice of you. What are you doing this for? And if the opportunity presented itself, our kids were able to do what? If the, if the door was open, they could invite people to come to our church, check it out, be part of it, right? And so these, the students are taking advantage of these opportunities, and I love that things like that are happening. I wonder what open door of opportunity might look like for you. It, it might look different. It might look like a battery blitz. It might look like a social media comment that gives you an opportunity to talk to somebody. It might look like a neighbor who's 
opens up to you about a struggle that they're having that you can pray for them. Maybe it's a coworker who asks you a question to try to challenge you in your faith. Who knows what it's going to look like? But doors of opportunity, we're praying like, Lord, open them. And when, they, when they're open, let's be ready to walk through them. That is God's divine work to open the door of opportunity for us to share Christ. So, church family, when it comes to making Christ known near in our community, we must be committed to sharing Christ. That's why part of our vision for make him known is to make him known to people who are near but not yet connected to our church. So as we close, let me just give some basic reminders about how our make him known initiative will help reach people near. It'll help reach people near by, first of all, providing us with a 640 seat sanctuary to fill every Sunday. We have 215 seats in this room. 640 will be in the new sanctuary. Every one of those 640 seats represents a person, a person with a soul, a person with an eternal destination, a a person who in their future lies either heaven or hell. 640 seats for people who need Jesus. If we open up two Sunday morning services, that means hundreds of seats open for new people to come. And hear about Christ. And one of the things that I'm excited about when we move into the new building is that from time to time, occasionally, we're going to have sermon series, short mini sermon series that are intentionally geared towards people who are far from God. Sermon series that help bridge the gap. They give people on ramps to joining the family of God. You know, topics will be sensible for people who are uh, lost and don't know Jesus. There'll be clear calls to have respond with faith in Jesus and next steps for people to take. There's going to be enough time in between services we're in the new building so that we're not so rushed to get in and out and we can actually stop and pray with people and not feel so hurried to do that. And I, uh, my heart is burdened. Um, and I want to be clear to you guys, I'm not interested in turning us into some seeker-sensitive church or something like that. I do believe that Sunday morning, the Sunday morning worship service is mainly a gathering of the saints and we are here to assemble together, worship the Lord together. But from time to time, it makes sense that we gear those assemblies for gospel proclamation uh, intended to reach the lost and bring them into the family of God, Lord willing, make them into fully devoted disciples of Jesus. So pray for that. Make Him Known will also help us reach people nearby providing us with gathering and group space for our growing student ministry. Guys, there's a lot of middle schoolers and high schoolers coming to our church. I mean, I think last uh, Sunday, I think we had 100 kids here, um, pretty close to it. They're out of space over at UBC East. Um, They need more room when when they have to break into small groups. We don't have enough room over there for small groups, so some of the kids have to come over here. And honestly, it kind of can feel a little bit claustrophobic and weird over there if you're a new kid coming in. And uh, there's just literally not a lot of room for them to, to get around. So we need to make room for our students to have gathering and group space. We also will be able to meet, reach more people near um, because Make Him Known will provide us with renovated assembly and class space for our elementary age students. You've, if you've had to check your kids down in our gym and, and family center, then you know where many of our classrooms are already over capacity Some weeks we have to turn people away because our rooms are full, especially at the 950 service. We've had some parents who have come to our church for the first time 
and they've come to visit, and they go to check their kids in, and it's just, whoa, it looks really crowded, and they're not, they don't feel comfortable with that with their kids sometimes. We have waiting lists for kids to get on Awana because in our Awana program, you know, we're just out of space. And so if you can imagine this room that we're sitting in right here at UBC Maine, like this sanctuary is going to be turned into uh, an assembly-style room for about 100 elementary-age kids as well as adjacent classrooms on the side. This will allow us to serve our elementary-age students in this room, preschool kids down in the gym area, adults over in the new building, and it'll allow us to have more space to reach new people. So Make Him Known is going to allow us to expand our facilities, Lord willing. But I want to say this from the bottom of my heart. New facilities only matter if they're impacting people's lives. And, and, and honestly, a facility itself can't impact anybody's life, right? It, 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 can give people, it can give us a door of opportunity for people to come and to share for the gospel to be proclaimed. And so, church family, I'm asking for you to start praying for people who are lost. Who can you invite when we have room here? Who, who can you bring who needs to know Jesus? What families can you encourage to join with us so their kids can come to know Christ? You know, let's fill up these buildings. Let's fill them up with people who need to know Jesus because the reality is that it's not just the outside unbelieving world that needs Jesus. They do. We all need Jesus too. We didn't stop needing Jesus the day we got saved. We need him now. And so does the outside world. So church family, we must be committed to sharing Christ, to doing the inner work of watchful prayer, to doing the outer work of credible words, and trusting God to do the divine work of opening doors. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time uh, to think about what your word says to us regarding the sharing of the gospel. And Lord, again, uh, reminded each of these services, thank you that every one of us in this room who is saved, thank you that at some point you opened up a door for someone to share the gospel with us and that you opened up the door of our hearts to receive the gospel and trust Christ. And Lord, I do pray that as time goes on in our church, that you would grow us in watchful prayer, grow us in our readiness to share Christ, grow us in consistent Christian living for the sake of uh, removing barriers for people to cross the line of faith. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to make the best use of our time, not wasting our lives on meaningless worldly things, but on devoting ourselves to knowing you and making you known in this world. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.